Hello and welcome to another episode of On the Floor with Wayne and Rob. I'm Wayne Highlander, National Sales Manager for Bone Adhesives. I'm Rob Johnson from Bona Training. This is part two of, of our of our conversation with the, with the uh, hardwood floor inspector, Carl Mattingly. And um, uh, we're going to continue this this great conversation we're having with him. All right, so other, other sanding issues, uh, uh, screen marks and those type of things you run across? Yeah, scratches, um, edger marks where, or not edger marks, but halos around rooms still. We're getting a lot of that, especially around door cases. Mm-hmm. You know, they'll... Um, they're not blending those. So you see, you get, especially on a darker stained floor, okay. um, not too many of those, but, but you still see them on a, on a sander mark or, or a sander issue. You know, you, yeah, you said something earlier and I, I, I'll, I'll go back to it is that, um, you know, when the, 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 you're sanding floors for certain colors, uh, there was a time a few years back that everything was light. Everything was a natural finish now. And we didn't do, you know, the dark stains went away or whatever. And then they came back. Right. And I knew guys were going to have challenges, especially guys that were kind of fairly got into the industry in the last five years or so that now are having to go to those dark floors where it's a, it's a, you know, it's a lot more, um, uh, you know, intense when you're sanding process and everything, everything is so critical that I knew that was going to bring up a lot of challenges for guys. Um, all right. Finishing. Um, guys still bleaching and water popping. Maybe we can start with what you're seeing in that regard. Um, a little bit of bleaching, a lot of water popping, where they want to get that intense color. You know, the customer walks in with that little palette and they go, this is the color I want. And you know in your heart that if you sand that floor without water popping, you're not going to get that color. You can get close, but it's never going to be what the customer wants. So a lot of water popping. So when that comes up, when someone I talk about it or they ask me about it, I always tell them this, and this is a difficult one, it goes back to all the way back to our first question about a moisture meter. Know what your moisture is on the wood before you put the water down. And then don't stain that floor until it's back to that level. So if you have, just to use a number 8%, and you now you water pop your floor, you want to pin that meter or pin that floor again to make sure it's back at that 8% before you start applying that stain. That's that's something that I learned years and years ago with bleaching when we started bleaching, you know, more and more bleaching was popping up. And that was in the late 80s uh, when they were doing pastels and whites and things like that. So that's we started doing that then. I still think it's good practice. A lot of guys won't do it, but I think it's good practice. Know what your moisture level is prior to the water going down. Um, you know, be prepared for grain raise. You know, that's a difficult one. A lot of guys, maybe it's the first time they're going to water pop. They're not, they don't realize how heavy that grain raise is going to be. So then they go in and stain the floor and put the first coat of finish on. And they go in and abrade it and they take all the little tips of that grain raise off. Now they have little white spots all over the floor and they don't know what to do. Yeah. So. Yeah. Uh, I'm going to stop and insert my tip here that I, 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 um, uh, I've said it before. If you've heard me say it, I apologize, but I'm going to say it anyhow. Uh, when it comes to grain raise on water pop floors, my brother and I had the best system. Brothers and I, I think, had the best system I've ever seen on it. And is that we would we would stain the floor like you normally would, but while you, by hand we'd stain it by hand while it was still wet. We would take a buffer, a maroon pad, and we would, we would maroon pad that whole section, and then mm-hmm. we would well, then we would wipe off the stain. And it, it's like we 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 screen it with a 180 grit. So you get, so you got rid of the grain raise. Then. You got rid of the grain raise, and you got the benefits of a, a water pop floor, 
And people say, well, that's an extra step, and it absolutely is. But man, it is absolutely stunning when you're done. I mean, really, it's beautiful. I wish I'd known that. I never even thought about that. I actually used to, I mean, just just your description of it made so much sense to me. If I was yeah. doing it again, I'd do it then. I'd do it. Yeah, yeah. And what we would do, when you, if you're going to do this, when you first put, a, if it's a brand new screen down, a maroon pad, well, yep. scary, not a screen, a maroon pad, we would kind of swirl it in the stain a little bit to get a little bit wet for that first turn. Right. And then, then and then, you know, pe people think, oh, but, well, then you're walking in it. Well, we never, never, never had an issue doing it. And I've never seen it done any better. Um, as I, it was so good that my three brothers fight about whose idea it was after all these years. Are you the oldest? If you are, then you get to take credit. He, he is the oldest. It's his. But my youngest is adamant that it was his idea. And now he's got me wondering and questioning my own self. So I don't, hell, I don't even know anymore. <laughs> <laughs> that's a now, brother thing uh, yes the bane of the industry the bane the absolute freaking heartbreaker the absolute heartbreaker to a floor guy is debris in the finish so maybe we can talk about that okay so so and this is from a pure experience i was so incredibly clean on my application from the time Prior to staining the floor, the amount of time we spent in vacuuming crevices and baseboards and cleaning walls and then cleaning that floor, cleaning that dust out of that floor. We didn't use a Tampico brush, anything that we we're going to stain. I couldn't hardly stand to see those swirl marks. It just drove me crazy. But if we knew it was going to be a clear finish, we Tampicoed it. But, but that said, just clean, 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 good, clean filters on your vacuum, good, use good vacuum heads. Um, you know, after you stain the floor, now you're getting ready to apply the finish or, or prepare the finish. Acclimate your finish. Get that stuff into the house where it's going to go down. Don't bring it in in the morning and think you're at noon. You're going to bring it in a couple of days before if you can. Acclimate your finish to the site. Mix it as it's required. And the trick that I did, I never poured out of a bottle. I poured it into a pour can. And even with the uh, plastic strainer that comes with the to put in the top of the bottle, we still poured it through a medium mesh painters paint strainer. And on big applications, big pours, if we when we would blend everything, there was a lot of times we would take a few seconds, rinse that pour bucket out, and restrain our finish so that if we had to pick any finish up, we didn't want that finish moved from bedroom A to bedroom B. So we were very critical about that. And and literally every time we poured a bottle of finish, it went through a paint stream. Um, Me and you could have got along just fine. We wore booties. Yep. Um, I have a beard. I would vacuum my beard. Um, anything that you can do to just imagine as you're going- It must be a going... California thing, because Wayne even had a funny hat that he would wear. <laughs> okay. <laughs> a painter sock. Why not? Yes. I mean- yes. Yes. For hair. I mean, it, it's, it was yes. comfortable. It was lightweight. I'd, I, and I would vacuum that before I put it on. I would, I'd actually wipe <laughs> my arms down with, with, uh, with a wet rag. But, but it's, <laughs> it, you know, as corny as that sounds, I think it might be a California thing because a lot of people out here think it's supposed to look like their dining room table. And you try to make it look like that, but. All right, um, you, you win. All right. I, 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 you got you, man. You got me. Damn it. You got you. Well, so so another thing, too, that 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 we do and and my brother in Michigan, if he watches this podcast, he'll laugh because he knows it's true. He hates tacking, hates it, hates it. 
So when he was in California, we were in business together. Um, you know, I think he'd probably just rather jump into a bonfire than to get on his hands and knees and tack a floor out. But we tacked the floor twice. One person would start it, and the next person would follow. We never went back onto the floor that had been tacked, and we did so. We did we did that twice. You might be the the only guy as anal as I am about about this part of the process, but I absolutely am right there with you, man. Uh, you work too hard. It's too hard for that one step to get you. That one, that one thing. Uh, another thing too that I would I would tell the guys um, know where your drafts are. You know, we used to have signs, put them on the door. We talked to the homeowners. All right, here's what we're going to do because we always had exhaust fans in the window, so we kind of controlled the air pressure in our room. But we had asked them and say, you know, is your car in the garage? Do you have to leave this afternoon? If you do, please take your car, close the garage door. So we would try to control that environment as best we can. A little bit on the anal side, but guess what? It paid off. Yeah. It paid off. The Sesame Street song, one of these kids just doesn't belong here, is going through my head right now. (laughs) (laughs) Well, it might be my brother. (laughs) Oh. But he was, you know what? You know what? Your brother and I will do floors. You and Wayne can work together. I'll work with your brother. I didn't say that he didn't tack him. I said he hated tacking him. (laughs) I'll let him tack at one time and we're good. Let's go. Um, Rob has a saying of 3680 and bad lighting as he jokes, uh, <laughs> for, 4080 and sat 4080 satin poly and bad lighting. That's, uh, <laughs> that was like the first 10 years of my, uh, my career when I left my family's business. But yeah, but in those days, probably what you're doing was a neutral stain. And like you say, oil finish. Yeah, so you might just, be able to give it. There was no, I was good at staining. I was much better at talking people out of stain. <laughs> Thank you. You should have been on my career. I would have, I would have hired you. Um, you know, speaking of lighting, the, going back to the sanding sequence a little bit, that's the one thing that we did, and we we gave that job to our apprentices. If, you know, we didn't always have apprentices, but um, once, once we determined that all of the sanding was done before the, we brought the screen out or our final, our final uh, smoothing, we literally would crawl the floor with a halogen light. And we'd pencil a spot. If there was a spot of question, we'd pencil that. Um, maybe that maybe that edge seemed it didn't get dropped quite as much. We'd go in there with a random orbital sander and smooth that, check that with the light. We'd do a pencil mark, just go, hey, just check this out. If you see something, put a circle around it. We'll come back and check it. And then we would just take that out so that we knew it's the very best that we could get before that screen went on it. So, Did, did you advertise, Carl? No. Yeah. No. So here's here's my thought behind that. And then I we were kind of the, the, this is the way I felt about it. We didn't advertise either. And we were always busy. And my feeling is that, you know, the amount of money we didn't pay in advertising, if it takes me an hour longer to do this part of the job or whatever, I'm going to do that because the word of mouth is worth it. It's worth more than any advertising anyhow. So I don't have to advertise and, and jump through those hoops. I'll do it on this end of the job. And, um, and then it just becomes second nature. And you, what it does to it, it creates great habits. You know, yeah. funny thing, when you say that, when guys are gonna sand the floors a certain way because it's gonna go natural finish, and you get away with that job after job after job. And then the, 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 you know, the bad thing about habits is they work most of the time. You know, then you bring it to another job where it matters and, um, and maybe not so much in that habit. 
And uh, look, we know we're preaching to the choir when we're on this podcast because we know there's some phenomenal floor guys on this. I mean, that listen to this podcast, uh, gals, guys and gals, by the way, uh, that are just phenomenal mechanics. And we we get that, but the, this is to help the guys that maybe maybe not 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 quite there yet, whatever. Well, I'll tell you what. The one thing when I when I do a PK, I really appreciate this because the people that show up to pay attention to this stuff and try to pick up a little bit of information, and I don't know everything there is, and I always tell them I was on I was standing in that audience five six years ago, so and I would still continue to go to those, but. Um, it's a it's a wonderful trade it's a it's a, it's a trade that um i've always been really proud of you know i raised my kids doing it uh great take great pride in it i think most of the guys that i've met in the business the people or as you even said the women that we meet in the business they're professional and they take great pride in it so the the, the more you can do it better and more perfection you can accomplish the more pride you can carry the more uh referrals you're going to get yeah Let's talk about stain, and, and there's a lot of the, and things that encompasses stain. One is trick wiping and th- those type of things, and maybe not waiting for the to dry at all. But but let's talk about that a little bit. But then also let's get into maybe Rob's favorite uh, subject is uh, is uh, spontaneous combustion and taking care of the, the stain rags. <laughs> That's not one of my favorite, but it's probably one of the most important conversations. Yeah. <laughs> Rob, Rob does Rob does a, a speech of whenever he does the NWFA classes. And he's done a podcast episode on this. On his speech on fire uh, is the best speech in the industry on on stain rags and fire. He he does a, just a knockout job on that. So um, it's near and dear to his heart. Uh, so we know how important that is, and and, and you know it just takes one to, yeah. to ruin a career. It's just like a, a, a car crash. I mean, it just takes oh. you can drive down the road every day, every day, no problems. It just takes one to to change your life. So yeah, you can't be cautious enough. And going back to the new versus what we did years ago, we do have the advantage today to have much better products. So the opportunity for that mistake to happen or at least reduced, you know? Uh, yeah, definitely. And the education is out there too. And, but every year, every year you see it on the, on, on one of the uh, social media, a yeah. house that went up. Yeah. Yeah, too many people think uh, it won't happen to them. I know. It will not happen to me. I've never seen it before. Can't happen. Never happened yeah. to me before. And it's just a matter of time if you're not taking care of them. Oh, my goodness. I can't, I can't even imagine. Lay them out, dry them out in the air, or just put them yeah. in a bucket of water. You we used to do, if, if we didn't have space, if, the, if our customers didn't have a garden space that maybe, you know, that was just bare soil, if they did, we would lay them out there and we would soak them with water and leave them overnight. But we still had to be really careful because I'll tell you, as an experience, this is a personal experience. We were doing new construction, laid the rags out behind the house, soaked them down. My sons were probably in their teens at the time. We went back the next day to start applying the finish. And I asked them to gather the rags and bring them out to the front. They laid them out by the van and, um, Again, this is new construction. There was no houses or no yard or anything in. Um, we went out at about three o'clock in the afternoon. Now these rags had been out all night long and been soaked with water, and they were smoldering when we went out to leave that day. Wow, is that right? Yeah. Wow. Jeez, that's wow, something. That's a lesson there. They hadn't caught fire, but they were smoldering. Yeah. They were. Yeah. Well, and I'll tell you something else too. As a, a, a rule, I lived about. I didn't let anybody else take care of my rags. 
Yeah. But someone else said, you know what? We just throw them in the dumpster. We got someone. Someone else is coming. Whatever. Nope. That's that's my responsibility. And uh, and uh, I, I won't. And I had a van catch on fire. Oh, you did. Yes. Yeah. So when you talk about okay, we're well, now we're in the finishing process, and what can go wrong? I, I really like that you talked about acclimating the finish. That that's in winter and summer. The, Correct. Uh, well. Um, and I always say that that can of stain is the same can of stain as it is in January, as it is in August, as it is in Alaska, as it is in Florida. It's the same stain. It just reacts based on temperature and relative humidity in your in your environment. And it's just so damn important not to push those things. Again, with stain is stain is an area that gets a lot of guys into trouble because you can you can stain the floor. And we've we've all if you've been in this floors for thirty years, we've all tried to wish stain dry. <laughs> you know what I mean? You it doesn't work. It, it, you, you smell it, you go, oh, it just smells a little bit too strong and you, your feet are just a little too tacky and that there's a, you did the white stain transfer and it was just a little bit on there and you want to, you really, you really want to get that, that first coat on, but you can't push it dry, can you? Can't. If you do, I'm telling you, if you do and that's, and that peels, it might not peel right away. It might not peel for six months. But when we go back in and we look at a floor, when someone says, all of a sudden, there's, there's white spots underneath my floor finish. And you reach down and you pull that back and you see the wood grain or you possibly see the stain color on the bottom of that finish, you know that that finish was applied before the stain was dry. Yeah, yeah. You know, back to what Wayne was just saying, um, when I'm not doing the classes, uh, I'm on the... Uh, the Bona Tech line. And uh, it's amazing how many guys run into issues because they push chemicals. Yeah. I'm, I'm shocked about it. something I talk about at every class I do. Uh, I tell everybody, you can install flooring until your arm falls off. You can run machines 24 hours a day until you blow a motor. But you can't, like Wayne was just saying, you can't wish these products dry. You push chemical and it'll push you back and knock you over every single time. That's why I think environmental control is so important when we're doing stains and finishes. You know, it's, it's, well, the word that was used at the beginning of the conversation was science. Science. I mean, those chemicals have to, they have to work together. And the only thing that's going to change that is, is the, con the conditions aren't correct. I go back to what you were saying about we're almost weathermen. Yeah. On the inside of the house. Yeah. And, yeah. and we know, and I, and I do tell that to a lot of my students too, is become a master of weather and environmental control, because that can sometimes buy you time. Okay. Yeah. Where yeah. You know, the people, my son, I was helping him code a job one day, pouring rain out. It was a Saturday. And we get all done. I go, hey, you want to go get some coffee or breakfast or something? And, and he goes, oh, no, I got to get two more coats on today. Oh, <laughs> He goes, uh, he said, Boy, the, people are, the people are coming home Monday. I go, not you, not my son. No way. <laughs> I go, absolutely. He goes, I, I can't. Uh, I, I go, no, you can't. I said, you absolutely can't. I go, you've got a great excuse, okay? It's pouring rain out. It's cold. The weather conditions are horrible to get this. I said, use that to your advantage. I said, on the back of every bottle of Bona, 
it has the temperature and humidity recommendations. I said, you just point that out to the homeowner and you're good to go. I said, become a master of weather because it will definitely buy you some time when you, when you need to buy time. Right. Because right. you just can't, you just can't go by the calendar. Well, the homeowner hired your son as a professional and they want him to act professionally. And it's not that he isn't, he's trying to, he's trying to be professional by meeting their schedule as good customer service. But they also, it's like our auto mechanics. We have to trust what they tell us if, if we, if we know them. Right. So your son has to rely on his professionalism and his expertise to look to his customer in the eye and say, it started raining today. Things have changed. You know, that it's, it's, it's a going back to, it's a That's difficult exactly conversation. What I, was telling. I, I go, here it is. I said, we'll help you. I said, Boney will even help you out. It's right there on the bottom. Yeah. All you have to do is say, look here, you don't want me back. You <laughs> pull, pull you out your Don Connor back. iPhone. There it is. <laughs> Um, there's an expression I've said many times is that, you know, and it's, usually I have this conversation at the front end of the job when, when it, about acclimation in the subfloor too wet or whatever, is that, you know, you have a schedule, I have a schedule, but the wood has a schedule too, and it doesn't care about us. That's right. It's just the way it is. Um, trick wiping. And I see guys now, you know, wipe, buffing on stain has become very popular. Right. Thank goodness, by the way. Uh, you can stand up and you can, you can, it's just one more technique. It just gets us off our knees. And part of what Rob and I talk about a lot is, you know, you, you do things that, that maybe can add longevity to your job. Maybe your career, your career can add, last five years longer, you know, and one of these things maybe, uh, you know, staining with the buffer. But sometimes I see guys stain with a buffer and like 2000 feet and they're not changing the pad out and whatever. And they're not, they're not abrading it back. They're not wiping it back off or, or going back with a dry towel, but and then coming in after a short amount of time and, and, and putting the first coat on where I think, yes, technically, did you, did you buff on, buff the floor, whatever technically you could say that you did, but did you really, where that stain is still really been, it's almost like trick wiping the floor where mm-hmm. you, you wiped on the stain, but you didn't thoroughly wipe it off. A lot of times back in the old days, before we did this, like when we did, um, uh, uh, water pop floors. One person would wipe on the stain, usually me, because I'm the oldest. Um, and then another brother would come behind and wipe off, and yet a third person would come behind him and wipe off his excess. And we used to have an expression: "You got to wipe off like a man. You got to really put your elbows into it, and you know it's it should be hard work." Um, but I think that can also lend itself to uh, um, peeling stain and that kind of stuff if you're not careful with that. Without question, without question, you again, the um, you'll know right away. You'll know right away if it's if it's peeling from the stain or it's peeling between coats. So you'll know you pretty much can tell exactly what happened. Okay, so when you talked about lighting a while back about how lighting has kind of changed everything and and you can use lights and your to your advantage whatever your light source is a big deal on job sites. And uh, abrading between coats, I think when they started putting can lights in the ceiling, it changed this, changed the game. Right. Uh, I remember when my uncle, who's an old old floor guy, we'd be in kitchens, and all of a sudden he'd be looking at swirl marks, and he'd yeah. be like, "What?" I mean, he's furious about it, whatever, because you don't see him over here. And that was yeah. always his argument: we don't see him back in the bedroom. <laughs> well, yeah, well, there's can lights in the ceiling, so that that kind of changed the way. And I would imagine um, abrading between coats also is is uh, something you might run across. 
Um, I would say probably what I've seen uh, inspecting floors, if you see those scratches in that top coat, well, let, let me back up. Again, the positive side of the chemicals and the finishes that we're using today are eliminating a lot of those scratches. If you go back where we are still using screens, we maroon pads hadn't been invented yet. We weren't using uh, 220 strips on it, you know. So, so you're either using a screen that's six or seven years old and barely, you know, you're trying to do everything you can to abrade without scratching that floor. Um, the overhead lights kill you. Um, we didn't have an issue because we took a different approach. We took maroon pads. We were very careful. We would go slower on our abrasion with a maroon pad and stay longer so we didn't have those scratch marks. We kept, we kept the pads clean. A lot of times we would vacuum the pads as we're going so you don't get that buildup or grab that little grid of sand somewhere and start scratching that floor. But in, in today's world where you can put your first coat on a braid, put your second coat on, and then go back in the following morning and you don't have to abrade again. So the chances of seeing a scratch pattern have been pretty much eliminated in, in, in my world with the water-based finishes. Um, but to give Rob something here, yes, believe it or not, even if we didn't abrade between the second and third coat, we still tack the floor the next morning. We, we tack the floor. But, right. but anyway. I, I do that too when I'm hot coating. Oh, there you go. Okay. Okay, I'll I'll do that too. Okay, <laughs> believe me, I don't like doing it. I'm not a fan of it, but no, I, I know. I but the but the benefit of it is absolutely. Um, I I just want to jump back to something he was talking about. Um, I I love that you still work out of a poor can. Yep. Because I do too. Yeah. Uh, all uh, all of my finishes, I'm always working out of a poor can, and. The reason that I do it is so that way I'm never starting with a fresh gallon in the middle of a room. Yep. So I'm I'm not going to get, well, knock on wood, hopefully I'll never get bit by that change of sheens in between rooms, especially now where, you know, the lower sheen level, the better. Everybody's just going lower and lower and lower. Right. So you can see a lot more, you know, just in case maybe one jug didn't get mixed up enough or, you know, sat on a shelf someplace a little bit longer than something else and they didn't get a complete mix. Well, as long as you're working out of that pour can, you have enough because your pour can is probably like mine, probably a two gallon can. Two gallon, yeah. So, I mean, that's enough to do, you know, 700 feet. I mean, if we, honestly, Rob, if we if we knew, let's say we're gonna do 22,000 feet of uh, application, um, we would mix all of those containers and then we would blend all of those containers. Absolutely. We'd pour the two in, then we'd pour one. So we'd do that whole mixing. So yes. we knew that that one bottle, bottle number three, maybe my brother's in the bedroom and we're going to meet somewhere in the middle, but all of our finishes have all come out of the one bucket of, of mixed finish. Yeah. Cause I, I think sometimes people think I'm a nut during the class. Cause I get really nuts about you never, want to get halfway through a room and then crack open a well no. i don't care what it is you know poly oil water doesn't matter right healer right. top coat it doesn't matter uh, are, no. are you a second generation floor guy by the way who me yeah um i actually i'm the first generation my my uh my son would be the second generation my brother my brothers i have a brother in the flooring business in uh, denver oh. and um 
So again, because I quit, I was going to be a woodshop teacher and I didn't, I hated being in class. So I got, I went, called that guy. So I actually learned the trade in my family. My dad was an auto mechanic. I'll be darned. Okay. Yeah. Um, and the age, age difference between you and your brother? Um, eight years. Okay. Well, that's a pretty big span. Yeah. Yeah. He, he actually was interesting. It was interesting because he, he was looking for something to do when he got out of high school. He said, I don't want to go to college. He's just, you know, he's a real good hands-on kind of guy. And I needed, at the time, I was already working for myself. And uh, I said, hey, why don't you come out and help me? Perfect. And he came out and helped me and we started kind of working a little bit. He actually served as apprentice with me and apprenticeship, um, went off and got his own flooring license, um, started his own business in the San Francisco area. And then finally, one day I was trading labor. I would help him on a job. He'd help me, that kind of thing. I said, you know, why don't we just, what are we doing here? Yeah. <laughs> and we kind of connected in um, the mid eighties. Cause I'm always curious, like, uh, guys that like, like you, you, you have, a, you, you have a great and always have had a great reputation as a floor man in the Bay area. That's just the way it is. And I'm always, you know, curious how some guys do that because they're second generation and, and their dad or third generation or like Rob five generations where it's just beat into you. Like yeah. you come up in the trade and you learn, you learn this bubble boom. But when you're first generation like that floor person, you, you know, you're, you're, you, you you're getting there also, but you're getting there on your own in the school of hard knocks and, and, uh, you know, which is kind of, you know, I, I worked with my uncle for, for a short period of time, but man, we raised, my brothers and I raised each other's doing floors. And, um, yeah, it was, a, it was a learning process, but we were always really careful about that. If we like, again, going back to the transition between oil finish and, and when the water base came on the market, that was such a learning curve. I'm thinking, you're not just going to hand me a bottle of this and go, oh, okay, well, we're using this product now. Well, let's go. You know, we did our research. We we took the classes. We started talking to people. We tried to figure it out. We started off with small jobs so that if this didn't turn out like we wanted, it was a bedroom instead of 2,500 feet. So um, Let's talk about decorum. Let's talk about um, you, you find yourself in an inspection. And let's face it. If you're in this business, you have a lot of pride in your work. Uh, you put your heart and soul into this job. And, um, you know, you, you, it's not an ideal situation, to say the least. I mean, you're, you know, you're, there's probably money on the line. There's probably your, you know, reputation schedule, blah, blah, blah. So how do you, how, how would a contractor best want to, want to, want to act, you know, act in this situation? When you find, because you're heated, right? I mean, you know, you're you're probably upset and whatever, and you probably haven't been paid, and maybe justifiably you're you're upset because you know the homeowner is completely wrong or the builder's wrong. So how would talk about maybe the the decorum as as when this process happens? You mean as a contractor or as an inspector? As a contractor, probably the best thing that I can say is don't act like you know everything, even though you do. Um, have empathy for them. Uh, Try to go in with an open mind. You know, like you said, we've talked about strainers and cleanliness and accept the fact that you did everything possible, but they may have a little uh, question about some things. Um, what is their expectation? So I think if you go in angry, it just elevates everything. And, and sometimes the homeowners or the contractors take that approach anyhow. 
because they watched it on YouTube. We kind of joke around that about that nowadays. But some of the times they bring information to you that is correct. They've done their homework. Um, so I would say if you find yourself in that situation as a contractor, um, you know, go in and talk to them. Ask them what their concerns are. Walk the job with them. Um, they don't have to be pushing you around and things like that. If they're trying to make a statement that is untrue, you can certainly counter them and say, well, no, that's that's not correct. We did X, Y, and Z. And uh, But let me take a look at it. Let's see what we can do. And sometimes as a contractor, you might have to give a little just to calm things down and, and um, you know. Uh, and that's probably the last thing you deal with once you're there. Somebody's heated. Somebody's hot and bothered yeah. over this. You mean so as, a, a, to, as a contractor inspector? As a contractor. As a I contractor. Mean, once I see you walk in the door, I'm like, oh, now, you know, it's over. Well, this what is you're not talking good. about, Rob, it, is different is between. <clears throat> so what you're talking about, Carl, is the relationship between that contractor and the homeowner. Right. And then what you're talking about, Rob, now let's say you're pulled into, a, you're pulled into an inspection and um, you're there with the inspector. No, I mean, if an inspector is there, that means that the homeowner and I just couldn't come to terms on whatever's going on. So right. there's going to be some unhappy people there, if if not both parties are going to be ticked off. So, so I think that's a great thing to tell these guys. Let's try to be friends here. Let, you know, let's listen to each other and not be combative because that's still not going to solve everything. Right. If you if you start off with a good relationship with your customer and just to get the call can make you a little bit nervous. Just the idea that, hey, uh, can you stop by on Tuesday? I'd like to talk to you about a couple of things that we noticed. You know, no, no, one ever call, right, no one ever calls three weeks later. Just want to tell you one more time. Yeah, this exactly. floor looks dynamite. I, I am. I just couldn't be happier. We want Thank We've you. got a gift Thank card you for you so and your much. wife. Yeah. Yeah, I'd like to buy you and your crew breakfast. Yeah, I get a lot of those three weeks down the road. That's right. But, but the so right, so true. You you turn down the bread aisle in the grocery store and you're like, oh, oh, shit. Yeah. we've been looking for you. We've got a gift yeah. card for you. Yeah, yeah. so true. Um, but you know. Again, I think if you if you do have some empathy and, and go from the very conversation this afternoon is do everything, be the weatherman, do everything that you know to be the very best. So there isn't a doubt in your mind. There, there's nothing wrong with um, a homeowner calling you and saying, hey, can you stop by? We got a squeak in the hallway. That doesn't always automatically mean that it's your floor. It could be you know, your floor could be putting tension on a, a nail in the subfloor. So you just want to try to find out what the issue is, you know, those kind of things. So that's the approach that I, you know, your imagination will kind of run wild with you because you don't want to go back there. But if you've done everything that you can to do as the perfect job or as close to perfect as you can, take the call and go back there, but try to be friendly about it. Well, let's talk about the cost of your business, having a callback and versus taking the extra time and those type of things on it. Uh, maybe you can kind of talk about that a little bit. Um, well, I used to tell my guys that 
one process in the job is just preparing for the next process. So that's always been my approach. So if, is from the time you start tearing the carpet to out or you're preparing repairing a subfloor, you're you take a little bit extra time at that phase to make sure that that surface is prepped for the installation, and then the installation is nailed correctly so that you can now start sanding and the sanding is prepared you're preparing that surface for the stain and the stains being applied properly so if you just take one job and you say 15 minutes extra say 30 minutes extra for the subfloor prep and you know 30 minutes extra so by the time you do a thousand fifteen hundred foot job maybe you've spent two additional hours okay and there's three guys on the job it's a it's a chunk of money if you think about it, over a year's period, but you get one phone call, all that goes away. The, the amount of money that you've saved by rushing through all of that, that's that's all gone away if you go back one time. So, so you said something I really like, the difference between a good job and a great job, the amount of time maybe is usually maybe a couple hours on a job, huh? Maybe, yeah, maybe. And, I like and, what he said about, I don't pay, pay for advertising, so. I have a little extra money to spend a little extra time. Yeah. That that adds up. That's huge. That's a great way to look at it. You know, one of the when you said about uh, if the contract if the homeowner calls you, one of the best guys that we ever had, um, my old partner and I, Pete, um, one of the best guys we ever had that gave us referrals, tons of referrals, was because we screwed the job up. We were all done, got paid and everything. He called me the next day and he goes, you know, the, the finish just doesn't look right. And I remember looking at Pete going, and we had tried a brand new finish that we never worked with before. And it didn't look right. It wasn't, you know, it wasn't awful, but it just, I agreed with, I walked in, I said, oh my God, this is terrible. I, I said, uh, let me come back, you know, buff it put another coat down. We'll take care of this. No problem. Well, that's what he, that's what turned into the great referral was he had a complaint. We came back in, took care of it. And, you know, you talk about lemons in the lemonade, but this guy was one of our best sales guys. And that was something that he always said to everybody was, I didn't like the way things looked. And they came back in right away. Didn't fight, didn't do anything, just took care of it. And now the floor looks great. And you know, so here I'm thinking, oh, crap, you know, this is terrible. Doesn't look good. But boy, did that turn out good for I'm not saying that it's going to happen for everybody. We got lucky on that guy. But but the, but the approach were combative with him. Yeah, the all. approach was proper. It was a good approach. Well, you you made a good point earlier when I talked to you off air, uh, um, Carl, about uh, the amount of time. Okay, so an hour or two extra on a job versus you get that phone call that the homeowner is hot. You have to drive out to the job. You have, now you have an unhappy homeowner in front of you. Now you may have to reschedule something. Now, God forbid you have to come back and do extra work on this job. So on balance, I, I like the business model. I mean, you know what I mean? It, it makes a lot of sense. Now, uh, flip side of that, I've talked to guys that run 30 guys and say, Wayne, I know my jobs aren't perfect. And I know I'm going to have to come back and do so many a year. And that's part of my business model and that's okay. 
and you know, God bless them. You know what I mean? If that works for them and you know, they have, the, 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 you know, that makes sense. And then that's, but that's a conscientious decision. But also their general contractors might use them for that, that ability to get that floor down. And the 100%. general contractor might even say, look, I know we're going to, we're not, we're not sure which crew is going to come out here, but we know they're going to take care of it if something happens, but yes. they're going to get the floor down. So well, that might be their business model as well. You're absolutely right. Is is uh, we need guy we we need someone that can throw seven bodies on this and get it done. And and that's I, yeah. I wasn't that guy. No, me neither. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, let's talk about um, retailers. I've I've worked for for retailers before, or I've seen retailers that own the business, but just don't. They're business owners that are not as savvy as the people that are doing the work for them. You know what I mean? Yeah. And I see sometimes maybe getting taken advantage of a little bit because they don't know uh, what they don't know. Or they'll they'll rely on a subcontractor whose maybe interests aren't aligned with his, and I actually think that's another reason why a retailer, if they could take time out to go some of these schools, I think would would make a lot of sense to me. I don't know. Well, I did. It's a good point because I did a PK oh, a year or so ago, um, and I and and because the the conversation that was happening with the installation companies, because this particular retailer used uh, uh, subcontractors. And the conversation was the wide planks and how difficult it was when they're being glued down. And they didn't think they were being paid enough money. And it was a really custom floor that was being installed. So I asked, and the, the retailer was, the owner of the store was standing there and I just said, we should have the salespeople here. That's the, that's the first point of contact. The salespeople should be listening to this conversation so that they understand what the installers are going through. But a lot of the people that, fortunately, we get, I get a lot of phone calls for advice, but there's a lot of new people that aren't savvy on the installation side of it, but they sell the product, but they don't know acclimation, site conditions, what adhesive is going to do. Is a four-inch plank easier to install or harder to install than a nine-inch plank? Subfloor flatness, all of those kind of things that a lot of times, and even, as you said, Sometimes the retailers aren't even savvy enough to understand truly what's required for their product to be installed. They can sell it. Yeah. But they don't know the important, that end of it. Yeah. Yeah. And, and that, that is just a part of the game. And I really think the, for, for going to schools and understanding that world, uh, even going to an installation class to see what the guys go through, I think uh, is, is a good, good uh, use of time. Yeah. Yeah. Um, education, just yes. education, education. Where where are we in the business, Carl? I mean, if you're a young guy coming up, you know, I actually think, you, you, man, there's there's some great opportunities. I mean, um, I think a good floor sander will always be needed. Number one, I think um, there's less and less people getting in the floor business. There's going to be a ton of these floors that need to be. Look at how many in the last few years, all this insulation that work that's being done. I think if you're a young kid coming up. Man, there is there is there is a lot of opportunity if you if you're willing to work hard in this business. Whenever I have access to these guys, and it's pretty often, I really do try to come at them from a kind of a mentor father kind of thing. When I see these, where they're, you can almost feel that thirst of knowledge. They want to do a good job, um, and I and I again going back to join the NWFA, get a certification, or go. You don't have to get certified. But join an organization, as Rob said, they're, they kind of, NWFA makes that. Get, join that so you have access to that information. 
put that on your business card. Let the contractors, let the homeowners know you belong to NWFA or to an organization that elevates you above the next guy. You go online, you can go, instead of watching a cat video at lunchtime in your van, go on NWFA website, watch a short video, they're out there. I, I, I'm assuming you guys have access to that stuff too. That's the kind of information I give them. Moisture meters, know your product, know your sander. Keep educating yourself. Take great pride in what you do. Now try to elevate yourself that much more than the next guy. Wayne Wayne was watching cat videos during this uh, discussion. I was say, well, that, yeah, there are <laughs> yeah. some good cat videos out there. there. Oh, I, heard take, I heard that. I heard that. You can't take Wayne's cat videos away from him. Anything but that. Well, <laughs> cat videos and fishing. That's there you go. There is no, no discussion. <laughs> um. All right, Carl. I, listen, I, I, you've you've been a. I, I've been wanting to talk to you for a long time, and 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 you're one of the most respected guys in the industry, and and for good reason. And and um, I can't say enough about you. Uh, you're my Thank go-to you. guy when I when I get stumped. Uh, I appreciate you always taking my call, and, um, and and vice versa. Yeah, and making time. Thank you, and and uh, uh, for the podcast. And and I and again, I'm just going to reiterate. I mean, we we have you on here because we want to keep people out of trouble. You know, it's a hard job, no matter what part, you know, whether you've been doing this for 30 years or three years or three months, right. it's right. a hard job. You want to put, you know, as many things on your side of the equation as you can to be successful. Right. Uh, and this is just one more in, in, in way of doing that. Have we missed any, is there anything at all before we say, say goodbye that we want to add to this, Rob, or any, any, any parting? Uh, no, I've been going through the notes. I think yeah. we think covered everything on, really on good. Stuff. Yep. All right. Well, then I'm going to let you go, Carl. Thank, thank you, Wayne. Rob, nice to meet you, sir. Nice meeting you. Thanks for coming on. Yeah, you're welcome. I appreciate it. Yep. This has been another episode of On the Floor with Wayne and Rob and Carl Mattingly. Please stay tuned for another episode.